Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. And then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Terry Toppler, and this is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 431st show is Dr. Thomas Lecoq, Associate Professor of History at Grandview University, who will be talking to us about how bad medieval history feeds far-right fantasies. Our history buffs today are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. Ed, you get to start us off this time. Thanks, Terry. Thomas, you mentioned that the number one uh, medieval events that are um, corrupted and put forth in terrible manner um, were the Crusades. Um, my intuition tells me that the primary delivery method for that would be from the pulpit. Is, is that the case? It might be, though I tend to think less than you'd think, right? Um, many groups historically, many Protestant groups uh, especially, have used the Crusades as an example of how Catholicism went astray, and that's that's a whole theological kind of conversation for for you know a different a different program. I think by and large the two areas that's really re-entered um, popular discourse are uh, around the the invasion of Iraq. Um, and the way that the discourse of a crusade was brought up uh, by President Bush and the way that that then filters down into society. Uh, and the other one right now is unfortunately through memes, um, the, the kind of memification of kind of horrific white supremacist ideas. Um, there are a huge kind of startling number of, of especially Templar memes um, that I have, I have seen online that bring in I mean, really violent narratives uh, of of kind of far right violence through cartoon images of crusaders that then kind of spread these ideas uh, broadly. I, I think we also have to point out that the idea, especially of, of the Templar and crusading thing, has become part of um, kind of the worst white supremacist violent terrorist attacks uh, from Anders Breivik uh, in Norway uh, and his his lengthy manifesto um, in, in 2011, he talks about this kind of uh, re- reborn Knights Templar, in, in a thing that, of course, clearly does not exist, but as part of his um, aggressive kind of Islamophobia, bringing this idea of being a new Knights Templar uh, into being that then has been used by in other terrorist attacks. Uh, Brett. So, when people are trying to fight against this current, um, are there resources that you point them to for for good history, for for better interpretations? Yes. Um, Though it's it's tricky, um, you can't simply tell people to go read a book. 
Right. I think I think this is this is uh, the easiest way that we like to we like to just say go read a book. But if you just search say Crusades on Amazon, what you're going to find is a bunch of TV shows, movies, um, and thankfully some primary sources at this point. But then you get down very quickly to cheap paperbacks of right wing or far right interpretations of the past. So you can't simply tell people to go read kind of random books. Um, there are a number of relatively cheap paperback introductory histories, and you can tell them, you can suggest them to people by name, and that somewhat helps. Um, but as with every other topic, with, as with every topic, you have to have good public-facing text to, to direct people to. Um, and it's not that we, it's not that we necessarily lack that. It's that I think academics spend a lot of time thinking about what are what are the best academic books are, and that's not necessarily the audience you're going for. Uh, and so actually building kind of a library of, of what is the most introductory book I can suggest to someone on this topic that I know about is a really important thing. Um, and I, I think you need to start training medievalists to kind of keep lists like this so you can point people and their families and everything else to introductory books um, that they can read and get an actual image of the past that they can afford uh, that they would actually be interesting and in, that don't spread bad ideas in them. Yeah, as a librarian, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I know uh, our sixth grade social studies uh, was the time period that uh, students studied the medieval ages. And so we would make sure that we had a large collection of books at sixth grade reading level and interest level on the Middle Ages for them to uh, look at. And we ended up really having overflowing a cart of books that we'd, we'd take into the classroom uh, that they would use for the next several weeks. Um, I just was reading your article uh, that was published October 7th, uh, 2020, on how bad history feeds far-right fantasies. And there's a couple of terms I was wondering if you could define for us. Um, you talk, Absolutely. Yeah, you talk about what is white it innocence and also the theory of virgin soil. Mm. So white innocence uh, is effectively a, a program of denying uh, racism and colonial violence, um, the, a way of, of effectively claiming that no wrongs were done and consequently no one should feel bad about them, um, which is always which is always you know fascinating. Uh, the the idea that uh, things that happened in the past uh, somehow are meant to make you feel bad as opposed to something you can acknowledge and attempt to do better. Um, you know, in, in, in contemporary things, uh, every year uh, people begin, a, there, there's always a pundit project to say that Columbus did nothing wrong, right? That, that nothing, nothing bad happened. He was a totally normal guy. It's sad all these things happened, but everyone is completely blameless. I don't know why you're, why you're saying mean things about Columbus. And that has nothing to do with Columbus, who in his own lifetime was dragged back to Spain in chains for, for his tyranny against uh, other Spanish colonists, it has everything to do with creating a narrative where nothing wrong ever happened, and we never have to feel bad about anything that ever happened in the past, or at least nothing that our ancestors, which is always nebulous because it's never really your ancestors, it's the general program of, of Euro-American settlers, never did anything bad, and so we never have to feel bad about anything that's ever happened. Um, certainly when we, we use uh, examples like Columbus, it 
the, the article I was responding to is effectively saying that uh, Americans and Canadians need to stop doing land acknowledgments and certainly never apologize for settler colonial violence, and as a result, never engage in any kind of reparations for the violence done against uh, any native populations around the world. Right? There is There is a program on the other side of this, and that's that we should continue to ignore the suffering inflicted upon indigenous people and do nothing to try to make this up. The other term virgin soil uh, is effectively, um, effectively that Europeans didn't mean to do anything wrong. They just brought a bunch of diseases with them, and those diseases wiped out most of the Native Americans, and it's just shucks, uh, completely unintentional. Now, this, of course, leaves out like specific instances where we have letters from um, British military officers talking about bringing smallpox-ridden blankets to Native Americans to kill more of them. But it is also the idea that, by and large, this is simply an accidental side effect. It's a way of, of making an argument for effectively a blameless conquest, which is also garbage. Um, we've There have been both popular texts, um, Andre, uh, Andres uh, Resendez's um, The Other Slavery, The Uncovered Story of Indian Enslavement. Um, historian Paul Kelton has written repeatedly about how you know this has been used to kind of weaponize these ideas. He has a book called Cherokee Medicine and Colonial Germs um, that talks about kind of the fight against smallpox by the Cherokee Nation from 1518 to 1824. And what it really is is that, yes, as we know right now, pandemics are really bad, but human activity and deliberate choices make them much worse. And this is the same thing that happens, that it's not that the pandemics run through and kill everyone, it's that uh, Euro-American settler colonial activity actively exacerbates the death toll, makes it worse, and then continues processes of violence for centuries. Ed? Um, yeah, um, Thomas, um, you mentioned Bush um, spoke of, the, of of a crusade-like mentality into Iraq. Isn't it? Isn't there a little irony there that Iraq turned out to be kind of a failed crusade? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't going to say it, but um, I, I think there there's the part that everyone forgets. So I, I think his his term was this crusade, this war on terrorism is going to take a while, if I remember correctly. Um, what all of the people championing the idea of crusade uh, always seem to forget is that the crusades failed, um, that they were, uh, I mean, large ventures, right, with, with incredible numbers of Europeans uh, marching to the Holy Land. And the only two that we can call a success under even European terms are the first crusade, where something like 90% of the people who go on crusade die and they butcher truly untold numbers of um, Christians, Muslims, and Jews in the region as they go through. So, you know, uh, success is an interesting term. Then again, given the way the far right uses it, I'm sure they would agree with that. Um, the only other one that, that can really be termed a success is the Sixth Crusade, when the excommunicate uh, Emperor Frederick II Hohenstaufen goes and negotiates a peace treaty with the Ayyubid Sultan in Arabic uh, and gets back rights to, to Jerusalem through negotiation. The other ones don't go well. Um, most of them end in, at best, a stalemate. Uh, at worst, you know, the armies being defeated. Um, 
Salouy, who, who you know, is famous as a crusader, uh, both of his crusades fail, and he dies on the second one uh, outside of Tunis. So the track record of crusades is a very bad track record. But as with everything else, what they care about is not the actual medieval past. What they care about is the the refracted modern image that conveniently leaves out the part where the crusaders die in agony. Brett, you get the last question. Oh, joy. <laughs> um, so how do you as a historian um, keep yourself encouraged enough to keep fighting this fight? Um, you know, what, what do you take hope in when you look at um, the current state of misuse and misinterpretation of something you love so dearly? I take hope in my students. Uh, I take hope in the fact that, you know, every every semester I get the chance to talk about the past with, with young people, young, old, all ages, um, who approach it with uh, interest and gaps in their knowledge and leave having learned about how kind of rich and interesting and more multifaceted the world is than they knew before. Um, most of them are familiar with kind of the pop culture ideas. Some of them have to have seen some of the, the kind of misuse by the far right. But, you know, it, it's it's a gap in information waiting to be filled with real knowledge. And you can present the Middle Ages in a way that is still compelling and rich and alive and they will engage in. That is not the violent racist fantasies of, you know, far right internet edgelords or, or, you know, neo-Nazi marchers. And you can really, you can show them that there is a past very distinct from the contemporary fantasies of it that is meaningful and more interesting than they've been led to believe. And even just planting those kinds of seeds, right, even if they never take another medieval history class, planting the seed that there are other ways of understanding the world, talking about the ways kind of the modern era has manipulated the way that we've seen the past, um, you can use it as, as, a, as a window to both just showing this entire other world that they don't know much about, but also letting them know that you actually have to interrogate these narratives. And that's incredibly meaningful. And then every semester I leave these classes encouraged about the state of the universe, bit by bit, piece by piece, class by class. We would like to thank our guest for this 431st show, Dr. Thomas Lecoq, Associate Professor of History at Grandview University, who talked to us about how bad medieval history feeds far-right fantasies. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it is being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it is being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.